Catfish Weekly, episode 65. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking catfish stories. True or false, that's for you to decide. But uh, if you guys have a story for us, put it in on the chat box there. We'll try to read it off and let everybody basically uh, hear it as well. We'll tell you a few stories and everything. Uh, probably talk about some miscellaneous stuff going on. Um... So, Chuck, I guess since we always start with you, get us get us rolling here on some uh, some stories. Um, talk about uh, the the one uh, the one that really haunts me is a uh, is a Friday afternoon after I got home from work. Uh, I beelined it to Gunnersville. I was camping up there at the time, and. Uh, I was watching the uh, the current flow on the TVA uh, app or the the phone at the time, and I seen that they were cutting water off at 5:30, and uh, they were running they were running uh, two turbines at the time, and I wanted to get up on the main lake while some current was pulling through, and try to get a couple of hours of good fishing in, and uh, I headed out in the middle of the lake, a place I've never fished before. And it was a spot that Jason Bridges had pointed out to me on the Navionics map. And he told me, he said, get off that bluff, boy, and quit anchoring down. He said, you get out there in the middle of that lake. And he said, that's where you're going to get a good one. So um, I got out there on the middle of the lake, and um, I was searching around with my 898, and I seen a, a very nice image uh, on my down imaging. Um I've never seen anything like it before, and I drug my cursor over on it, and I marked it, and I went back around, and I said, well, I'm not going to try to drift with him. I'm going to try to precision anchor on him. So I looked, and I was 60 foot away, and I uh, threw my anchor out, and I marked him. I didn't know, you know, I marked the fish, so I guess it was the exact spot he was at at that time. And um, I, I got four rods out, and I staggered them because they were only going to be about, you know, three feet apart anyway. So I threw one out real far, and I came back closer to the boat as I went. And um, I sat there for about 15 minutes, and uh, the, the, they cut the current off. And, and my rods started going down. You could see the line starting to sag because the current was starting to slack more and more. And one rod just straightened right out, bent all the way down. Um, I've never hooked anything like that before that felt like that. And um, 
I was by myself, and he'd already tangled up my other lines. It was the uh, the furthest one I threw out, and he already came in, tackled, uh, tangled everything up. He'd already turned my boat around about 90 degrees. Um, after about 30 minutes, I got him up to the boat. I had both hands in his mouth. I couldn't. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't. I couldn't even hardly get him up out of the water. I couldn't get his lip hardly up to the gunwale. I tried to tried to get him up in the boat a couple of times. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just nervous and excited. I don't know what I would have did if I'd have got him in the boat. I'd have probably never been able to get him back out, and he'd have probably kicked my butt. But um, I didn't want to let go. I just I just sat there with both hands in his mouth. I just kept looking down at him. I, I was just hoping a boat would drive by to help me or get a picture of him. Um, you know, so I just, I I let go with one hand. I slid one hand down to the circle hook, and I got a hold of it. And I had to snatch a couple good times, and I got the hook loose. And uh, I just looked at him for a few more seconds and I just pushed him off and um, I've, I've caught an 85 pound catfish and he was much larger than it was I'm not saying how much um, it was totally different shape more it looked longer a lot longer and more lean it didn't have by it being in the water I really couldn't tell much but um, I mean that's that's the nightmare I keep having um, and that's what's driving me to keep going back and Heading to the Tennessee River and trying to go back after her again. All right, uh, Lyle, you got one? Oh, nothing like that. I can't top that. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> uh, one of the stories that, that that I've got that that I and you know it's pretty close to me. Uh, years ago, I was fishing on Truman Lake. And uh, I used to fish that all the time by myself, and uh, the Osage Arm is one of my favorite places on that lake to fish, and I went up there on a weekend morning, and uh, I took some live bait, and I was actually fishing for blues, but I was chucking uh, one rod up next to the bank, trying to see if I could get a flathead, and I did. I got a big old pig, and... and uh, fought it and fought it and fought it finally got it up off the bottom and it got to the top and I knew it was a really good fish and it took right back down and and uh, at the time I didn't have a very big net with me and and uh, you know it was a big net but it wasn't it wasn't quite big enough and uh, when I got this old girl up to the top I, I was sitting there fighting with her and trying to get a net and hold the rod in one hand and uh, I reached down to put this net over top of her, and I couldn't get her in it because the net would hit her pectoral fins come out the side. And uh, I was so afraid I was going to lose this thing, and I reached down to grab hold of her in the mouth, and she clamped out on my hand, and when it did, I pulled my hand back out, and it just took all the hide off of it. So I decided to go back to the net, and I, the only way that I could get this fish in this net was to stand it up and bounce it up and down and ended up getting her um, tail in the net and just flopping her in the boat. Uh, it was just a cluster from the word go, and uh, I immediately, well, as soon as I got back to Springfield, I, I stopped at Bass Pro, got the biggest net they had, and in fact, I still have that net, but, um, you know, 
the moral of the story is be prepared and have equipment big enough to to deal with whatever size fish is in uh, the area you're fishing, whether it be on a lake or a river or whatever. You know, you make sure you have something big enough to to handle the fish if you get one on. Number one, and that you got a big enough net or whatever. Number two, uh, to get them in. So I mean, there's a lot of a lot of parts of equipment that you need to to make sure that you're big enough if you're fish, fishing for an area where you're full of channel catch, you don't need anything like that, which is what I actually had uh, had been catching with smaller fish up there in this area, but that old gal was getting ready to spawn, and she was up next to a brush pile, and I just happened to be lucky enough to, to grab her, and I don't remember what she weighed now. It wasn't 50, but it was upper 40s or so, and a uh, pretty nice fish. Uh, that's that's one that I can remember that... that uh, uh, one that we got in that I never thought I would get in, and, and I don't fish by myself much anymore. I do enjoy doing it, but I uh, just don't get to anymore. But uh, uh, just moral of the story is have have equipment big enough to handle what you're dealing with. <laughs> I hear you. And fishing by yourself is, um, you know, very, very rough. And, um you know, I suggest anybody if they get in a situation like that, just you know, just don't you know, you can hurt the fish very bad. I would I would just, you know, do what you can, look at it, you know, don't even try to get it out of the water. Um, you know, it's hard enough to handle them with two people, much less try to get pictures and all that. If you can lay them down uh, on the bank or if you can get them up on the boat and lay something beside them, you know, to get a picture to show um, to scale them too, but um, well, I agree. You know, if I had it to do all over again, that fish would have never come in the boat. Uh, yeah. I would have, I would have left her to the side of the boat and got a hold of her the best way I could have, and unhooked her and and released her. Uh, and, you know, this was several years ago, and I wanted a picture of her, and I wanted to wait on her and all that stuff. But uh, it's not as important now. Now, if it had been a hundred pound fish, it might have been a little different. But I have better equipment now. Uh, than to do that with, but you know, in them days, I wanted pictures and I wanted weights and links and all that, and and that stuff uh, is not as important as it used to be to me. But uh, I, you know, if I if I didn't have the equipment to get it in the boat safely now, I would just unhook it in the water and let it go. Yeah, the uh, the the 58 pound flathead that uh, I'm holding up vertically by the lip uh, in our intro. Uh, that was a few years back, and that's before I learned the uh, the damage that can be done, uh, you know, by holding them that way. I had no idea that, you know, their jaws can pop loose. Um, I had no idea that their their guts can shift and uh, pop their esophagus loose and killing them. You know, even though they swim off, you can beat one in the head with a sledgehammer for 30 minutes. Um, they're more than likely going to swim off because I've actually seen a catfish that has been filleted on both sides drop back into the water and actually swim off with yep. meat gone from each side. Well, um, you know, here a few years ago we was uh, at the at the tournament and we was running the tournament and and some guys come in to weigh in some fish and and uh, they had caught some they had caught fish and their live well was full we have, you know like I say we have a three fish limit to cat outdoors and these guys come in and weigh two fish within a couple hours of takeoff and the live well was already full with one big fish 
and they weighed into others and, and they was in a bass boat and they had this th these things laying in the bottom of the boat on the carpet and those fish uh, all the slime coat was gone off of them there's red blood wasn't running out of them but you know how they look after they've rub been rubbed really hard and uh, you know we changed rules after that where you couldn't just do that but I, but there's no doubt in my mind that those fish probably didn't make it uh, I would guess infection would probably got a hold of them and and uh, you know once something like that happens and you change the rules and you make adjustments so that things like that don't happen again but uh, this was several years ago and and I, and I remember that and, and never forgot it so uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that you have to to repair as time goes along. Yeah, I mean, you catch us something like you know the flathead I caught. He, he was 58 pounds um, at the time. It was a fish of my life. It's still the flathead of my life. And knowing that I, I could have did damage to that fish that caused him to uh, maybe not make it, but a week longer or something. I mean, you just don't know how much that kills you on the inside. Not not being educated enough to know those things. Well, uh, you know, I've seen I've seen guys on, on all the forums holding them like that, and it made a really cool picture. Um, you know, and I I didn't read anything before that time, and after posting the picture, some guys uh, educated me about it really quick um, about supporting the stomach and everything. And, but that's uh, learning, Chuck. I mean, you didn't yeah, know any better, and and you do know better now, so that will never happen again. Right. You, know, you you won't do it no more. I know, but I mean, it just uh, I'm just telling the guys uh, that's just how you feel later on. Um, Absolutely. If they ever did that, you know, it's that's why I'm saying, uh, you know, being on some really good catfish sites that has this education where guys, um, they're not really getting on to you. They're they're telling you how it is, and uh, they're not knowing all. So a lot of these guys just you know just passing stuff along. And, you know, I just wish I would have been on some uh, really good educational sites before then um, so I would have known better. You know, I think those guys, they come in and they try to, to help you. So they, they know that you're catching quality fish. They want to help you so those quality fish will be there for years to come. And I honestly believe that. Oh, yeah. Uh, one, one thing before we get too carried along, I promised Rob that I would tell uh, everybody that he has his issues fixed at uh, uh, with his shirts and stuff and uh, Whiskerware Apparel now has all their outstanding orders have been shipped so uh, if you don't have your order it, it will be coming uh, really quick uh, so bear just wait on the mail that there's something we can't do anything about and uh, uh, he had also made a, a thing on our deal that wanted to congratulate Justin Connors on a great Wait, win this weekend, and I would also like to congratulate Justin. That was an outstanding day you guys had, and job well done on those those fish down there. Uh, Chris, anybody that is called Fud has got to have a story. <laughs> got you got to have a good story. Oh, I, I got lots of stories, but I was <laughs> going to say one of one of my stories. It wasn't necessarily about a, a monster fish or anything like that, but you know, my dad got me started it with catfishing. I, I, you know, I was a army brat for the first three years, and then my mom and dad got a divorce, and I, I moved around. I didn't see my dad a lot, but when I did, a lot of times we went fishing. Um, 
later on, and, I, and I'll tell you one of the stories a little bit later about some of our early fishing trips, but this one, this first one I'm going to tell you is about, he, he got remarried and moved to Tennessee. Um, I think I was about 16, 15 in that area. Um, and he and they live right on a mountain. There's a good river right down from him. And I, I went down to visit him uh, for a weekend, and, and we decided to go catfishing out there. Um, he was he was tired and stuff. We went we went through the day and fished a little bit, and I I wanted to fish through the night, and he really didn't. So pretty much he just put me in the john boat and let me go out by myself. And uh, their house was about you know just a, just a little ways up the road on the mountain there from the from the river. And uh, all all my ever fishing with my dad was normally with like a Zebco 303 or whatever, the 202 or I, I don't I mean it was just the little rod and reels with like 10 pound line on them. And uh, that's just all we did. You know, it's all we fished with really. We never, I never learned about a, you know, the clickers and bait casters and stuff until about five or six years ago. Um you know, and fishing with, with the heavier lines and braids and stuff like that. We just used, you know, the rod and reels you get from Walmart, a Zebco 202. Um, and so he sets me, he sends me out in the in the little John boat. Um, I decided to go right under the bridge and, you know, just I only fished with one or two poles and, and I threw a, I had some bluegills and stuff and I threw a bluegill out and I threw a, um, probably like a chicken liver or something back then. I don't, a night craw- not night crawler. We used night crawlers a lot. And uh, there was some stuff flowing down the river that night. And, you know, I every once in a while I get something caught up on it, you know, and have to get it off of it or break it and retie it and whatnot. But uh, it was it was a few hours into the fishing. I, I seen my little Zebco pole start doing a bend but it was a real slow bend and so I got to thinking okay well I got me another tree or something floating down the river got a hold of my line so I pick it up and I feel it and it sure enough it feels just solid you know it just feels like a tree or something so I'm trying to wiggle it off and get it off of there and and I'm you know I start pulling up on it and giving it some good flex and I get to feeling it and I'm trying, and it almost feels like I like the tree is sort of coming back towards me a little bit, you know, like I'm pulling it back. So I'm like trying not to break it, trying to pull it against the current and come back to me so I can save my hook and stuff. And uh, like within a few minutes, I I feel something. I feel a little bit of movement, and and to me it almost felt like I was still hooked on a tree, but like I had a channel cat that was on the other line, you know, on the end of it, like my. My line was wrapped up in the tree, but still had a fish on it. So that's kind of what I start thinking at that point. That I, I'm, I'm like, oh, I do. I got a fish on here, but I got to get it off of this tree, or tr- you know, try to get it, this tree in with it. And so I'm pulling on it and pulling on it, and and I get the feeling like this this thing is not a tree, that it's a a fish. And then I get back to the thinking that it's a, it's a tree again. I, I'm I'm now, you know, I'm back to a point where, okay, this is not not even a fish. That's, I was just imagining things, and there's no movement here. It's just a big old tree. And so comes up to the surface eventually, and I'll have to say this was a 30 to 45-minute fight. 
and I'm sitting here, and I'm just, I mean, forever, just not trying not to break my line. I'm th I can't tell if it's a fish or not a fish, and I pull it up, and finally it comes to the surface next to the boat, and I don't know, like, if your brain is, is already thinking something, it's what you see, but I swore it was a giant log. It wasn't a fish. It wasn't nothing. Pull it up to the side. I'm try I, I reached down to grab a hold of it, and that's when it just flipped out. It was a giant flathead. It basically peeled all my my drag back off, went back down, and you know, and, and another five or ten minutes, he was he was pretty wore out. But I pulled him back up. Got I had a little tiny net. Got his head in the net, and then grabbed a hold of his tail and pulled him in the boat. Um, it, it for me, you know, being 15 years old and, and previous fish that I caught have been maybe, you know, six, seven pounds or so. It was a monster. I mean, it was absolutely humongous. I I ran up, I, I took the boat over to the bank, ran up to the house, told my dad I had a giant fish in the boat. Um, you know, he, he was like, yeah, I don't believe you. Whatever. They, they end up driving down my, uh, long story short here, it was a, about a 22 or 23 pound flathead that I caught on the Zebco pole with a 10 pound line, monofilament line, and uh, I, it was just a, a battle of my life to me, and it, and it was the first larger fish that I ever caught, um, and I really, I felt like I earned it, you know, I did, I really worked the fish and, and worked the, the line and, and was able to, uh, I guess, know my equipment and know what it could handle, know what it was, you know, Basically, giving it the the right drag and, and really just, even though I you know I, I couldn't tell if it was a, a fish or a, a log for the longest time, um, I got it in and it was it was really neat. I got and then I the only picture I ever got of it the guy you know these are Tennessee people <laughs> couldn't use a camera, so I got a picture of me holding it, but you can't see my head. He completely cut my head off on it. And and I will say this, I was holding it the wrong way too. I was holding it by the mouth, you know, and and it's something that, you know, being just not knowledgeable about it, you know, you learn about it, and I, I don't know why some people feel that it they either know everything or it's it's somehow insulting to be told something that is educating them, but um, you know, I don't think that people should be afraid to to help spread knowledge and. and the correct way of doing things and well and you don't have to be nasty about it I mean just you just explain to them and a lot of times that they just don't know shut up Ron <laughs> but yeah also I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you guys what uh, um, <coughs> let's see old uh, Chad wall had a story he said that and I know he's told me this story too uh, him and Glenda were sitting at one of their favorite spots, and he had a rod, took off peeling line. He sets the hook, and he starts seeing the water just boiling. Then he sees two green eyes look at him, and it's a face mask. He just sat down, <laughs> dumbfounded, and she swam up to the boat, lifted her flippers up, unwrapped her line, and she took the respirator out of her mouth and said, Thank you. It freaked him out. He caught a lady scuba diving. <laughs> but 
Yeah, go ahead. If you got another story, Chuck, go ahead and go um, for it. I really, I don't have many. We, me and Leanne, uh, we was tree fishing up at uh, in the Monsters of the Ohio uh, on Thursday before the tournament, and um, we we didn't we headed. Uh, down river, but you know, we weren't planning going on all the way to the dam or locking through. We was just going to try to find us a good hole that we could get to pretty quick and and try to hit that morning bite the day of the tournament. So um, we found this nice little secondary channel edge, and we had a bunch of live bluegills, and uh, we we got on these small flatheads. They were you know eight to twelve pounds, and uh, you know, I I didn't care if I was fishing this hole out. I, I was having a good time, and I knew they probably wouldn't be there Saturday morning anyway. Um, so we sat around. We probably caught seven or eight of these little boogers. And um, Leanne's uh, pink black horse rod just bowed down huge, boy. And she got all excited. She grabbed it. She fought this fish forever. So we... It, it broke the water about 10 yards from the boat, and it was the biggest gar I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I was like, how am I going to get this thing off without, you know, I, I said, well, I'm just going to get it as close as I can, and I'm going to cut the leader. Um, so, you know, I told her to back up in the boat. She backed up pretty good ways. You know, and about that time, it just made this big roll, and it just splashed the crap out of me, and the hook came out, and it was gone, but I thought that's a pretty good fish story, you know, them, you know, getting something um, other than a a catfish when you're expecting a catfish and, um, you know, getting let down like that at the last minute, um, you know, I, I, I think those make pretty good fish stories. It was a monster on the Ohio, though, I tell you that. <laughs> you don't have, like, any early... You know, early fishing stories or anything. That, I mean, like I said, it doesn't have to be a huge fish or one that got away or anything. Just one is memorable. Yeah, there's a, you know, my dad was working uh, 712s at the uh, air aircraft hangar, at, uh, you know, working on the Air Force airplanes and all. And, I mean, this went on for years, and it was during my, you know, my teenage years where doing stuff like this was very important. And he had a really good friend that was uh, – Always going and doing stuff like that. He was a, a big, big. Oh, you, you froze up. Fiddle there. worms. There you go. You're back. We we would fiddle fiddle worms. Um, you know, we we would go out ginseng hunting, and um, you know, and he would take me take me down to the hide and tallow where we would turn it in, and he you know just make this ungodly amount of money, but. Every time we did good on, uh, you know, some ginseng or, or, or very nice fiddle worm harvest, he would sell these big old long fiddle worms. Uh, we we would grab a big bucket full of those fiddle worms and we would go below the dam catfishing. And um, I caught a 26-pound um, catfish below the dam with, with two turbines on right off the catwalk. Um you know, and that 26-pound flathead, I mean, uh, blue was um, the the biggest fish. I mean, that that thing we we weighed it with spring scales. You know, and when when I pulled it up, he said that's a 25-pounder for sure. He knew his catfish, 
And um, you know, back then nobody had cameras. They would, you know, nobody had cameras on their phone. Nobody had little pocket cameras. You know, no telling what kind of stuff was missed at the time. But you know, that was the greatest thing in the world for me. I never thought a catfish could get that big. You know, I heard about the ones the size of Volkswagens that laid up under the dams, and when I caught that one, I thought he was one of them. <laughs> I mean, that, I had to. Um, I, I had to bring him around to the edge of the uh, catwalk and bring him up to the uh, riprap where a guy climbed down and, and got him up the rocks for me. And, um, you know, I, I did bring that fish home, and uh, my family ate that fish. Cause, you know, back then I didn't know anything about, you know, uh, having, um, you know, breeding-sized catfish or anything. Um but, you know, for a long time, that catfish was, um, you know, that meant a lot to me. And that really got my addiction going. Um, you know, and right after that, I was probably 15 or so. And, you know, I went I went to the military after that. And when, when I got to Fort Benning, <clears throat> every moment I got, I was down on the Chattahoochee River um, with a buddy of mine from Pennsylvania. And we were, we were fishing for catfish. Everybody else wanted to go bass fishing. And, um, you know, that, that guy, RB, introduced me in the catfishing, and uh, he made sure that he taught me uh, a lot. And I, I probably owe my fishing addiction to him, um, the, the, the way he filled it for me. All right. Lyle, you got another one? Yeah, I do, but before I do, Jacob Lindsay has sent me a message on here. He wants to know if any of us have ever caught sturgeon, and, and for my for me, I have caught tons of sturgeon. Mississippi River's full of them, and you can catch them anywhere from uh, 8 or 10 inches long to, you know, 3, 4 feet long. just depends on their pallet sturgeon, and uh, they are a lot of fun. Uh, good eating if you don't mind cleaning them. They're a pain in the butt to clean, but... Uh, they are. They're fun to catch too, uh, Jacob. Um, I, I have a story that happened when I was a kid, that, that, and this wasn't river fishing or so. We was actually catfishing, but um, my dad passed away when I was 15, and he had severe heart trouble. And uh, one of the few things that he could do at the end was go fishing, and about every night, him and I and We'd go out to uh, a pond and we'd go fishing, and it was full of channel cat and stuff. And uh, the guy had actually got a hold of us and wanted us to go out there and catch these fish because uh, uh, muskrats and stuff had had uh, eight holes in the dam and it had broke, and uh, most of the bigger fish had went on down the creek and and on into Salt River uh, back in those days. But um, we was out there and. and um, We'd go out and catch these channel cat at night, and then you just had a stringer to put the fish on. And uh, this pond was just absolutely full of turtles. And uh, every night you'd go out there, and if you wasn't careful, while you put these little channel cat on there, them turtles would come up there, and eat, they'd eat the channel cat off your stringer. And uh, I pulled up a, a stringer full of heads one night, and I told Dad, I said, next time we come out here, I'm going to stop that. And he said, okay. So uh, a night or two later, we got ready to leave. And uh, before we left the house, a friend of mine, name is Alan Finley, a good friend of mine those days, and uh, he decided he was going to go with us. So we run out to this pond, 
<laughs> and we're catching these fish because you can just catch the, t the fire out of them. And uh, everybody had three or four of them, and I put them on the stringer, and I set the stringer up really close to where I could watch the fish. And sure enough, here come one of them big old snappers, and that baby come running up there. And about the time he was chewing that first one up, I'd put a hatchet in the tackle box, and and uh, I took a big old swing at that turtle's head, and I missed his head, and I hit him in the middle of the back, and the hatchet stuck in his back. I couldn't get it out, and I lifted that turtle up, and he had a head on him about twice the size of my fist, and he's got his neck craned around there, and I'm trying to get away from him, and he's trying to get a hold of me, and he's chasing me around in circles, and I'm trying to get somebody to help, and Dad couldn't get over there fast enough, and my buddy, he done fell off of his seat. He was laughing so hard, he thought it was pretty comical. This turtle was chasing me around, and and uh, I really thought he was going to get a hold of me, and pretty soon Dad got over and stuck something in his mouth, and, and uh, we ended up cutting his head off and dressing him. But um, you, you have no idea what a 28-pound snapper will do when that thing's got that neck craned. And them necks are about a foot long on the babies, and they'll chase you around as long as you'll let them. And uh, it, it was quite, uh, that was something that I won't forget. And, uh, you know, it may not be have to do with fishing, but if you'd have been on the hatchet end of that turtle, you would have understood where I was at. <laughs> uh, we got a, a couple requests to talk about this a little bit. Jerry Kirby um, apparently caught a 100-plus pound blue uh, catfish would have probably been a state record, um, but only took pictures with it and decided to release it because That's I guess outstanding. I guess they they wasn't sure if they'd be able to keep it alive or whatnot, but he felt it was better to just get it back out and uh, instead of being you know getting a record for it, um, that is something where you know that's. That's I don't I don't blame somebody and I wouldn't blame somebody if they wanted to keep that fish, you know, and they thought they could keep it alive, and even if they thought it was going to die, I'm not, I, I guess, I'm not sure I would do that or not for a state record. If I knew it was a state record, um, you know, you 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 want to say that you'll put it back, but you really don't know what you'll do, and then on a situation like that, I would not be critical of somebody if they decided to keep that and make it to try to be a state record and have their name in a book and everything like that. It, it is only a name in a book and whatnot. But it is nice to be uh, known that you've caught something <laughs> that size, you know. So, um, in my personal opinion, it's awesome that he did that. And, and I don't want people to think that I, I, I can't speak for these guys here, but myself, I, I'm not somebody that says that you have to do that. Uh, and I'm not judgmental about it, you know. I think it's awesome that that you caught that fish and 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 you're not a person that would normally keep that fish for any other reason. So um, if you think you can keep it alive or if you really think you know that it's a record and you're going to try to get it um, stated as a record, then that's that's good for you. You know, I, I definitely want to make sure that I, I clarify my stance on that. You know, I, I think it's in that situation, that's an individual's choice and... Um, you can't be blamed for whatever your choice is on that. Yeah, I mean, I think even if you have to poke a hole in its lip and and use a small stringer or, or a rope, um, you know, to try to keep him alive, uh, 
keep him in the water until the conservation boys get there. Um, you know, I I would m much rather hope that uh, he had a lip pill than, you know, him just end up being thrown in the back of a truck. You know, plus they dry out so much and they will, you know, regurgitate so much that, you know, by the time they get weighed in, they just, when they're out of the water, they'd lose a lot of weight. Um, and, and if you can keep them from getting stressed out and, and you know, and, and keep them in the water, uh, your record will hold a lot more uh, than, than it will if you keep them out of the water for a long time. So, um, you know, that, that's something that everybody should think and plan ahead because it could happen. And I've thought about it a lot. And that's one reason that I do not take my live well out of my boat, uh, even when I'm not going to a tournament. Um, I, I thought about it a lot. It still gets in the way. But, um, you know, if, if I have a chance at that record, I want to be able to be one of those guys that can have him put in the books and he can still swim off too. Yeah. And there's no way that I would uh, I would let them take it for uh, research. I would totally deny them the uh, the research part. Yeah. The uh, what'd you say? Well, wow. I say absolutely. I they're not they're not. If you catch something like that, there's no way they're going to kill it for research. That just couldn't happen. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean rock. Let's say I try to keep it alive and and make my decision. I mean. If it were to pass, when you're trying to get it, you know, as a as a record, you know, verified or whatever by DNR, if it were to pass or whatever, you know, get good pictures, measurements, things like that, so possibly you can get a replica made. Uh, use the meat, you know, don't don't let it go to waste or or whatnot. But you know, again, that's that's each, each individual's decision to make on that on that uh, circumstance. It's not. You know, if you're a person where you you practice CPR on anything under 10 pounds and no, or over 10 pounds and uh, keep some under or under 10 and stuff, you know, that's of course better. You know, especially um, you know for the community and for the sport to 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 if you decide to keep it and it passes, you let people know. You know, hey, this was this situation and and if people give people crap for that, you know, I, I honestly feel that it's, that's taking it a little too far, you know, and I don't, I don't, I'm not saying this guy got anything, you know, that if, if he were to keep it or, or if he had anybody say you shouldn't have kept it or, or, you know, what led to his decision, but, um, you know, people also shouldn't be scared to keep a fish like that because of their being afraid of what people would think of them for doing it. Yeah, like the uh, you know the Johnny Summers fish, the, uh, the the big one you see with him having the head pulled up out of the water and it floating on the uh, the sand flat next to the boat with his wife taking pictures. Um, at one time, he gave me all the measurements, um, he, and he turned and also Bass Pro also uh, gave him a replica of that fish, and he gave it back to Bass Pro because. It was uh, way too small um, because he gave them the exact measurements that he took of that fish with a tape measure. The fish was 71 inches long, and I think from the tip of the nose just to the beginning of the dorsal fin was like 28 inches. But um, 
from from the uh, weight to girth rule, a lot of people had, was estimating that that fish was probably 165 to 170. Um, so I mean, no telling what that fish would have weighed. He he could have killed it easy. He could have turned it in, and, and if the worst thing he did to it was stick that rope through its lip and, <coughs> it up, and then end up living, um, you know, he should be very recognized for that. Um, and and they should be. Um, some type of record in each state that um, if you take pictures of of certain measurements that you do get some kind of recognition even though it's not a certified record um, you know it still should be a documented record of some sort if uh, if you can froze up again to be recognized did for that fish Another, another uh, is sort of along the same lines here. Facebook post you guys might have seen, and I absolutely 100% agree with it. And I want to tell you guys what it says. It's basically a picture of a small blue. It says, uh, uh, "My six-inch fish that you know is one pound or whatever is uh, still more of a trophy than any fish you caught from a pay lake." So that's a, that's 100% correct. Any any fish that somebody caught in the Wild River and not a pay lake is is a trophy. And then guys that go around saying, "Oh, I caught this trophy," blah blah blah. And I and I'm I meet them in the real world all the time. And you know, all, again, all you can do is try to educate them. And but yeah, they haven't caught anything. <laughs> but I I got another story too. Or is it is it your turn, line or did you just do? I think you just did another one, didn't you? Did one. All right. Um. I guess going back to uh, going back to the well, I'll go I'll go to a bigger fish, and this was uh, I probably talked about it on here before. The uh, one of the hardest hit pools of uh, the Ohio River is the Markland Pool. Um, it's basically uh, Vivi, Indiana, right around that area, and and above, up through Lawrenceburg and Cincinnati and stuff like that. But that's one of the hardest hit commercially fished sections of the river. And this last year, I was fishing with Daniel Lux, um, and we were in a tournament where we went up into the Ohio-Kentucky area, not the Indiana-Kentucky area. Um, we're sitting here fishing next to a barge. Um, I hooked what I felt like was, was at least a 30-pound fish, and for this area, for that area, most of the time, that 30-pound fish would have been a tournament-winning fish. Um, the, you know, the fish that I had on, I'm fighting him. I am fighting him, you know, to the back of the boat. I'm standing back there, and it felt like, almost like uh, whenever you have, a, like, a, a muscle or a shell on the tip of your hook, and a fish eats it and, and just comes off. That's kind of like what it felt like. I don't know if any of you guys have felt that. Uh, I felt that as well, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, you, it, it felt like it just came off. And so I'm, I'm kind of just like, you know, I don't understand what just happened, but I, I reel my line in. Um, I'm, I'm very, very mad because, like I said, this, this stretch of river. With the way that that felt, fish felt, that was probably a tournament-winning fish. I get to looking, and 
that was the Gamagatsu ADOT circle hook where it had broke. Because I went, actually went to bait that hook, and that was when I realized it had broke the hook right at the tip. And that's the only thing I can think with a, with a fish breaking a hook like that and is it hits the that hook, the tip of that hook sits in the, the hard bony part of the lip rather than that soft corner. Uh, and that fish does a head shake or something that that's quick enough where it just snaps the metal in it, and and they either have a bad, you know, they had a bad uh, production of them, you know, a bad spot in production. Um. <laughs> I've got some. I got another. I got a PM for about another story too. But I, yeah, we'll talk about that. Um. But yeah, I mean that's. That was one where, you know, as soon as that happened, I was I was very, you know, I'd already had some problems with Gamagatsus and, and heard stories of them breaking, and um, at right that point, I pretty much said my Gamagatsus are no longer my big river hooks. They're, they might be channel cat hooks, you know, and that's it. Um, but that, that was my story on the, on the Ohio River section there on a bigger fish that I lost. But yeah, I've got a question too about talking about uh, Clint. Um, Clint asked a few questions in our chat, and want to try to get to them if I can. So see if we can. It says, how long can you fight a blue? His first question: How long can you fight a blue cat before fatigue becomes fatal? Uh, you've heard about he's heard about swordfish, marlins, or sharks where they cut the line after so long due to the fish dying of fatigue. Um, I would say probably within about five minutes. If I don't have a fish in the boat in five minutes, I'll probably just cut the line. Um, I wouldn't. I would also say that if you get the fish in, it's in you know a little bit late in, in this uh, conversation here. People were talking about uh, the high, the higher the water temperature. Um, basically the less chance they have to survive and that's because of the oxygen in the water and things like that one good thing to do is if you have an adequate live well when you catch a fish in the warmer in the warmer months or even in the colder months where that you get that fish in you had a good hard long fight with him uh, maybe it was in deep water or whatever don't just let that fish go right back to the water put that fish in your live well uh, let him recover in there with more oxygen in, in your live well. You know, if you got some frozen uh, two liters and stuff to cool that water down, um, keep him in there for for an hour, thirty, you know, forty-five minutes to an hour, and and let him recover in there where he's not fighting current, he's not fighting anything, uh, has more oxygen. Um, what do you guys have to say about that? About keeping fish alive well, well if if like how long that you think that you should fight it before you think the fatigue becomes fatal and maybe what they could do to well i don't worry about that and the reason i don't worry about that is cuz our live wells big enough and we've got enough oxygen going into it that that they'll come out of that live well stronger than they went in it you know even if you just picked it up out of the water and set it in there without fighting it, it it's you know that doesn't worry me at all i don't think that there's uh 
you know, unless you're on him for 30 or 45 minutes in heavy current, I don't think that that it's detrimental to the fish. That you know, a, a big fish is pretty strong, and uh, if you, if you give him oxygen or, or adequate supply of oxygen, he'll be fine in a live well, and and you just keep him in there until he's ready to go. Uh, uh, I, I don't, I really don't worry about that. If you're set up correctly, you won't have a problem with that. Yeah, they. Um, I I don't let them go until they take off. They That's they right. have they have to snatch yourself out of my hand. Um, and, and most of the time, the I've had them act real sluggish. Um, I've actually put them into the water, um, and they just acted, you know, non-responsive. And uh, a couple of times, it was a burping problem. I, I stuck the tube down their throat. They burped. I put them into the water and they tore my hand off getting out of dodge. Yep. So it had something to do, um, you know, you know, with the having the uh, the bladder full of air, I believe. If you get them babies in a good live well that has an air supply or an oxygen supply in them and let them rest up before you release them, you'll never have a problem with a stressed out fish. Yeah. I mean, even a lot of times, even before pictures. Um, you know, it's good for you and them to rest up. And, yeah, especially you know, me. Yeah, and I, I seen I seen Jason Bridges posting that. Um, you know, they they caught a really big fish. He put it in the live well. Um, let it get its energy back. Um, you know, let his client get their energy back, and then uh, did did the little picture session, photo session, and released the fish. Um, and you know, and that was something really good that I learned from that post um, that that he did there. Okay, as, as another question that he had was he he's heard some people say that fish over seventy pounds, when taken from the water, the stomach collapses under its own weight because they have no weight in water and don't have muscles to support themselves, causing them to puke. Is that true? <laughs> I don't think so because I've actually seen large blue cats laying up in the shallows with their dorsal fin sticking out of the water. So I'd have to that's agree, yeah. that's um, if you got them up quick from from a depth, um, you know maybe, but you know they they do puke in your live well for a reason. I've always thought that it's been stress. I agree. Um, Maybe the bumpy ride uh, when you're riding, and um, you know they're they're bumping against the bottom, um, you know. But a lot of times, I believe it was from stress. But I've never had it uh, really affect a fish where they didn't swim off. I always hate it when that happens because if you're in a tournament, it's costing you weight every time that happens. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you'll have you know big huge gizzard shad and everything else floating in your live well unbelievable uh, different things will come out of them Ducks, muscles yeah. yeah all kind of stuff and whatever it is it really really smells bad snakes yeah, done. yeah. yep there's a I, I definitely think that they don't collapse under their own weight I definitely think that uh, when they're pulled out of the water um, you know that's the, the the supporting of the belly and things like that is 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 really crucial and also even dropping them from just a couple of feet is is way more harmful because of that 
fact that they've always been in water and they've never had the full uh, their full weight hitting solid, you know, ground the way it does there. Um, you know, I mean, that kind of impact on on a fish that's never had, you know, the gravity and things that, that we have above the water. I don't believe that there uh, is a, a, a fish of any size that is dropped from waist high. They may swim off, but I, I, I would be surprised if a very much of a percentage of them ever survive that drop because they just are not used to being slammed like that. And and that's why we we talked about this a week or so ago about uh, wastelings and taking care of your fish with you know at, at weigh-ins on tournaments and people's going to drop them hell they've got away from me weighing my fish in they've got away from me when I was weighing other people's fish in at tournaments it's going to happen there's no way to percent to keep it from happening a hundred percent but you have to use every precaution make sure you don't because like you say waist high you drop a, a, a 50 pound fish it's never had that much force hit anything hard before and I would be surprised if very many of them ever survive that because they just have no idea what's what's happening to them and, and there's no way you could tell what kind of internal damage has been done to that fish Another quick story I have, just real quick. I, you know, if you guys remember the Ming Yang reels, <laughs> my, my, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, Paul Louderback, he got me. I mean, he got and me. A lot good. of other people. He, I sold every, every uh, Abu Garcia reel I had, seven thousands and six thousands, sixty-five hundreds, and bought the Ming Yang equivalents. And had a bunch of money to spare because I, I was, you know, under the impression these were the next best reels. And I've got a video where I was uh, down on our derby trip with a couple of my buddies, and I'm fighting about a, I don't know, two or three pound channel cat. And the uh, the reel handle, the power handle, broke off on me while I was fighting that channel cat, and I had to reel it in with my finger, you know, just trying to trying to keep the the reel going and uh, I ended up taking a picture of of the 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 metal pin that connects the uh, power handle to the I guess the metal there and it showed that that wasn't even a solid metal it was almost a a hollow piece of metal that was filled in with a ceramic type material so I mean that's just how cheap these things were made and not to mention all the other problems that I had with him. Uh, I mean, he he got me. <laughs> well, he got a lot of other people too, and then acted like there was nothing wrong with the crap that he was selling. It was just junk. But Bobby Vargas made a video, and I'm trying to remember if he beat one up or whether he burned it or what he'd done. But uh, he he had made this statement in a post someplace uh, that they didn't even make a good uh, weight to fish with and he's exactly right they was not as quality as a two ounce sinker yeah they just um, they just was terrible another thing I know Chuck knows about and quite a few other people might have seen um, Alabama's trying to make some uh, some budget cuts and they're talking about closing a bunch of the state parks including uh, Joe Wheeler State Park, um, Gunnersville State Park, um, 
I think there's about seven or twelve of them, something along that lines. Um, and you know, you guys that went down to the winter on Wheeler and stayed in them cabins, that's what they're talking about closing. Uh, you know, we're just now getting started. I sent there's a there's a guy on Facebook that opened up a Save the uh, Joe Wheeler State Park Cabins Facebook site with a petition dot uh, org thing. You can sign the petition. I signed the petition. Said, um, you know, catfish guys are just getting started. You know, we're just we're just getting started on holding big tournaments down there and and utilizing those cabins and and uh, it might not be making money, you know, right this moment. But I think, you know, I think it has the potential to do so if they if they can utilize it and. And really start putting some backing behind people like Daniel um, Parsons down there. I don't know what these these people think about it. You know, them them cabins. Is my understanding, and most of them have been there since the 30s. They was paid for when that lake was built by people doing the work on the the dams and whatever was going on down there at the times. So all they have is maintenance and upkeep. And the people that clean them, how in the world can that not survive and make money? If if it's not, it's got to be poor management. I don't care what they say. Yeah. You know that. Yeah, that. You know, people need to go and at the very least, you know, we talk about, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to go and fill out a petition and say, you know, this is why I want you guys to keep it, you know, here I am, and, and and have our backs on things like that. You know, that's what we need to do is support each other, support issues where uh, it can affect what we're trying to do with catfishing. And that's, you know, it's not directly into catfishing, but it also can be. Um, you know, Daniel's just getting that tournament started right now. And without those uh, cabins there, um, that really limits the close places to be able to stay. Uh, to that tournament and, and you know whether or not you know they they can find another way to make their cuts or you know different um, parks that may not have the same sort of uh, uh, fishing and things like that near them that they could they could possibly do that's that's out of my knowledge base right now so um, if you can go to the Facebook page look it up save the Joe Wheeler uh, State Park I believe that's the name of it. Um, go to that page, like it, share it. Go to the petition. It says it has a petition thing right on it. Go to the petition thing. Just you don't even got to type anything. You could probably just put sign, click sign petition, and click your name. You know, click accept on it or whatever. And what do you have any more on that specific issue, Chuck, that you know about or would like to say? Uh, not really. Um, I, I shared the petition page today um i've had people uh you know send me send me messages and asking me um well, can out of state people do it um you know i didn't see on there where it wouldn't hurt and i think it would help because you know most of the people who come visit those parks are from out of state uh they need to think about how much it's going to be hurting the economy in those areas uh you know as as many's tourists as we get to come down fishing and enjoying our scenery our parks and everything up along the Tennessee River uh, Gulf Shores um, has a state park down at it um, you know they're just spread all over and 
you know, they're, they're thinking if they shut these places down, um, you know, that they're going to be able to save some money, which I don't think is going to, you know, help one bit. Well, it's just, that's just, like I say, if they're losing money, it's just poor management on their part. Uh, there, there's no way. Them places was paid for by the, the people that was doing all that in the 30s or whenever it was, and there's no way that they're losing money on them uh, other than just pissing the money away. It's by the way, know, I mean... I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, most of those areas are... Uh, you know, g given to the state of Alabama, you know, by the power company. The power company owns most of that land. That's the, the that land is donated to the state by those power companies. You know, to to give back, um, and for them to build on, and you know, to, so people can enjoy. Um, you know, so that they need to keep letting people come enjoy. I mean, everybody's having to reschedule fishing tournaments, not knowing if they're going to be closed down or not. They're not giving anybody a straight answer. Um, you know, if they're going to or not, they're pretty much, they're saying it's going to be a big, a good chance. Um, you know, so, you know, guys are going ahead and rearranging their schedules and, and, you know, picking different ramps and, and using hotels and giving hotels the business now. So I I can't see where it's going to help them um you know by by them renting uh, out one cabin that's paying one employee for that day uh and I'm sure they rent out far more cabins than they got employees. Absolutely. So I'm uh, probably, probably paying for a couple employees for a day, I mean. Yeah, so I mean by them by them shutting down the park um you know that that's people losing their jobs also they're not going to have employment none of the park people um you know none of the none of the guards none of the office personnel uh none, none of the uh park rangers none of that stuff nobody's going to be employed that's the local towns losing tourism money oh, yeah. there's a lot more to it than just them you know too i mean it can it can be really a you know more than just the state park thing. It can be a, you know the town the town loses out too. The town loses uh, potential a lot of potential money really probably even more. Well, you just just for example, you take that Winter Blues on Wheeler tournament that was down there first time that there was how many boats was in that Chuck? Uh, I believe it was in the high thirties. Yeah, it was okay, like thirty six, thirty seven, and almost all of them was from out of town, and, and we filled that. Say? Yeah, we filled that park up, and, and, and you're not going to tell me in January for any other reason that many people would have been at that state park. Oh, and wow. we all ate out, almost every meal, everybody ate out. Now, we did eat a few meals in the cabin, but for the most part, we ate out. We filled up our tank on the boat every day. We filled up the truck twice while we was down there. All that money will be gone if they don't allow that to where, to where uh, he can have that tournament down there. That park will not only lose the money, he'll probably move it somewhere else uh, to where everybody will have an a, a economical place to stay. So not only are they hurting the park, they're hurting all the local businesses around that park. Oh, yeah. That mo that, or that restaurant that we all ate in, do you have any idea how many meals they fixed that night? I mean, we waited a long, long time to get served. 
because they had no idea there was going to be that many people down there. Besides the regulars they had coming in on a Friday night, that place, I'll guarantee you, that restaurant would like to see that happen again. Oh, yeah. They were uh, they were doing a little bit of complaining about it. I mean, but uh, you know the management was loving it. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, they had to. You know, the employees wasn't, but that's going to be anywhere you go. Um well, you know, you, but I'll tell you what, they were some good waitresses, and they was glad to see it, and, and they all made money. They got tipped very well, so they'd be glad to see us back. Yeah, I mean, they, they knew we was going to have a small little meet and greet, but, you know, um, Daniel was trying to give them uh, somewhat of a, um, you know, how many was going to be there and all. He didn't know what to tell them, and, you know, I guess everybody thought it was going to be mandatory, uh, but, I mean... What eighty people, seventy something people were in there. Um, oh, at least just in one little banquet room, and it, it was overwhelming. And, well, there was um, people waiting outside to get in. Oh yeah. Now, wh where else are you going to have that uh, on a Friday night in in that little old town uh, in January? How many times is that going to happen down there for them guys? Oh yeah, that really that was a big booster for their bottom line on that month of January, and it was I'll right off. I guarantee it. Well, and the Shell station that was up the road from there at the at the stop sign, twice we filled up the boat and had to wait to get in wait in line to get gas, and they didn't have just one pump; they had a whole bunch of pumps. There was that many boats and trucks getting fuel there, so they noticed it too. Oh yeah. That, that's the thing that, that these guys don't understand. They're not just hurting uh, the, the people that work for the park. They're hurting the local economy because a couple of them places, uh, that either made or, made or broke their January, regardless of what they say. Yeah. Now, uh, for the caption contest this, this week, uh, Mark Cooper is our winner with... Uh, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> uh, I want to know where that picture come from. That picture came from the um, was it the Deerfield Inn that we when we used to go to the uh, in Cumberland City. Yeah, Cumber I think it's called the Deerfield Inn, something it along is. that lines. Yeah, it's in Cumberland City. I posted another picture. I mean, another hot tub that was this last year. Is that uh, the one with Jason in the tub with you? No, oh. no. Excuse me. That was uh, Heath in the tub with me with his okay. with his uh, gimp suit on and snorkel and <laughs> Jason photographing in the mirror. Okay. And then the other one, the other, I posted a little bit down, and I said different hot hot tub, same fud. That's uh, that was in Derby, Indiana, the cabin we stayed at uh, for a week. When that was when I flatheaded fish all week long. Um. But yeah, that's what uh, I didn't pick the I didn't pick the photo people. This was one that they wanted, and everybody's like, "Oh, we're gonna do the rub a dub dub with the fud in the tub picture." So, yeah. me and Lyle yeah. voted on it, and we had Heath send it. And, yep, uh, it's funny too. <laughs> so if you if you clawed your eyes out or were temporarily blinded or anything like that, I take no responsibility. You can blame Chuck and Lyle for it. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, we'll congratulations, take it Mark. That was a, that was a very very good one you come up with, Mark. And uh, 
but there was a lot of good ones that come up. There I appreciate was. everybody that participated. And it's, a, it's been a lot of fun. We're, we're going to have one more. And um, that's going to be something we're going to need to do more often. This has been the most fun contest that we've done to date, I believe. Yep. it's. Uh, I think for the, for the last one, um, whoever photoshops the best picture of Rob Klobfelder with a phone <laughs> on. <laughs> well, actually, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> no, that, I don't think. I, right now, I don't know if we're, we're looking for a picture with all three of us together in the, at like the Monsters on the Ohio. So, if uh, I don't know if Rena Stitcher has one, or if anybody has the picture, I thought I thought some, one of us got a picture of it, but I did too, but I can't find it. I think I think as many as much video as we got and as good as um, you know Heath and them should be able they might be able to do a, a clip out of one of theirs um, yeah you know just, to get to get a pick out of it we want to try to get a picture of all three of us together at Monsters on the Ohio and that'll be the next uh, caption contest uh, for this next week but Mark Cooper um, Send me a message on Facebook. Will give me your address. I just got Jason Mathenia's out today, uh, so you should be getting that in the next couple of days. Um, so, again, um, Heath or somebody, if anybody can get us a picture of us three together uh, for, at that Monsters on the Ohio, um, that that's what we're going to use. So if you could let us know and give it to us, and we'd appreciate it. And this has been a lot of fun. There's a lot of people again that joined tonight. Uh, we've had over 30 people on in the chat. Uh, lots of good stories talked about, you know, catching scuba divers and fish that got away. And um, we definitely want to try to get some some guests on again here soon. We haven't had one on for a while. What um, we're going to try to get that. We're going to try to get some more. Um, I guess the, the the videos and things like that showing how to some of the different. Uh, rigs and stuff. You guys got ideas for other episodes, you know, topics, things like that that you'd like to hear us talk about? Uh, let us know. Again, Justin Connor, I I also want to tell you, great job on that first place. At, at, at I believe it was Cabela's, wasn't it? Oh Cabela yeah, ninety-three pounds. He he, uh, uh, you know, he was they they were thirty-something pounds uh, in, in first place. You know, over second. That's an outstanding job they done. And yeah. had uh, a couple of very nice flatheads over 30 pounds. I mean, beautiful flatheads. And they, um, I mean, Justin's one of them guys that, you know, has only been on the scene for a couple of years. And he was fishing without Tabitha this time. Uh, so he even did it without his lady luck. And he was partner up with uh, Jacob Donnelly. And, uh, I mean, they really done it in. And this is really big for Justin. This is probably, to my knowledge, I think this is one of his biggest wins that he's had. He's he's had a lot of wins, but um, you know, this is one right here. I think that's really going to break him out. And um, you know, he's just one of them guys that come along ever so often. Just he's just got what it takes to get it done, and he's making it happen every time he goes out. Did we lose a bunch of people in the chat? I'm showing 32. Yeah, but I just reloaded it, and it's showing six, and it's just refreshing and won't come back. That's what mine's doing. And nobody's talked for a while. 
Yeah, I see that. Huh. I seen where Fudd said test. Russ Baker one minute ago, two minutes ago. Rob two minutes ago. I I, I haven't seen anything for 25 minutes. Yeah, me either. Huh. Yeah, now it says there's only seven. Yeah, I shut mine down earlier. Yeah, it looks like it was. Well, <laughs> we apologize. But, um, yeah, we're going on about an hour and 15 minutes, so I guess if you got a closing statement there, Chuck, go ahead and go for it. Um, I really don't have too much. I'm going to be fishing out of a, a, a tournament, the... Uh, the, the Hilljack Trail out of Columbus, Phoenix City area, down in the Columbus, Georgia area. They're coming up to Lay Lake. They scheduled this tournament uh, to come up and, so they could all do a little bit of pre-fishing before the uh, Cabela's tournament the 1st of May. Um, so all them guys are coming up here uh, in my neck of the woods and if everything goes right, I'm going to try to get down there and fish with them. And that's, um, you know, Trace Owens, B, Tim Owens, B, um, you know, and all them guys. I think Jody Atkins and um, uh, they're all going to be coming up. So I think that's going to be really fun. And, uh, you know, we got the big Cabela's coming to town, uh, the super event. It's going to be uh, – a two-day tournament. I think it's the 8th and 9th of May or 7th and 8th of May. I think 8th and 9th um, coming to town. And so everybody's just trying to get ready for it without fishing the lake dry. And it's going to be a really fun time. Um, this is going to be one of my first Cabela's tournaments. And I'm glad they're finally bringing something around here to, uh, you know, to try to get catfishing on the map. That's about all I got for the night, guys. All right. Um, the thing that I am aware of right now, the only thing that I'm aware of as far as tournaments is uh, Twisted Cat Outdoors, May 2nd, Burlington, Iowa. Uh, be a Channel Cat tournament. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there's no blues that far up the Mississippi River, and it will be a great deal of fun. Uh, we had a tournament up there last year for Calvin Myers. It was an outstanding day. Everybody had a blast, caught a lot of fish. And there is some really, really good channel cat in that area. So if you like to fish for channel cat, come out and see us. Um, get on the, the Twisted Cat Outdoor page on Facebook. And Alex has all the information as far as I know there. We'd love to see you. That's it for me this time. All right. Um... Yeah, I believe the ICA has a tournament out of Worthington, Indiana, uh, this Saturday. Uh, the following Saturday is, this Saturday is going to be a 7.30 to 4.30 uh, in the daytime. Uh, next Saturday, I believe, is our first night tournament, so it'll be 7.30 at night till 7.30 in the morning, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and that one will be at Grandview in two weeks. This next week is at Worthington. Um Looking forward to see everybody out there. Uh, I did. I I did. Uh, let's see. I did want to say again to everybody that showed up and that was in the chat and everything. 
thanks for showing up. Thanks for uh, participating in the chat and telling the stories with us. Um, you know, this it's part of what makes it awesome for us too is that you guys participate so much and and the contest that we had has been a lot of fun and hopefully we're going to keep making it fun and having interesting things going on good prizes and stuff like that uh, you guys want some of the advertisements you know about the advertisements on the page get a hold of me I can get you a, get you an advertisement set up I apologize for the chat uh, breaking down on us a little bit here in the last part of the show um, I think it's Lyle's fault for some reason just got to blame I'm sure you do <laughs> he did it. It was him. But uh, hey, everybody! If you get to go out fishing this week, have a good time. Stay safe and stay out of my spots. Okay. <laughs>